Welcome, welcome, welcome to an episode of Designer DAO, where we talk about Web3 and design. My name is Dee, and this is Designer DAO. Today, we are with uh, Zach. Um, how do you pronounce your last name, actually? I, I should have asked you before. Lavity, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, Lavity. Okay, today we're with Zach Lavity, who is uh, the lead designer at Magic Wallet. Um, I'm not going to butcher your intro, so let's just jump into learning more about you. So, Zach, sure. tell me a little bit about yourself and how you find yourself in this crazy space called Web3. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat today. Um, but yeah, my name is Zach. Uh, I am a product designer at a company called Magic. I've been with Magic for a little over two years now, uh, mm. but have been designing digital experiences in some form or another for almost 10 years. Uh, I spent most of my adult life in Boston, but last year mm. moved down to Asheville, North Carolina uh, with my partner and our two cats. And uh, yeah, I've been kind of following Web3 in some form or another, I would say since... 2016, 2017. Uh, and so mm-hmm. was really excited to actually get into the space and start uh, designing within the space uh, a few years back. And what kind of interest you in Web3, like uh, why, why Web3 of all the things in two, 2017? Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll backtrack even a little further. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I've, I've always been kind of a geek, uh, like interested in emerging tech and stuff like that. Um, as a super young kid, always had like my Nintendo DS or my Game Boy uh, carrying around with me and really loved like gadgets and the internet and tech in general. Um, and so I think Bitcoin caught my interest way back, mm-hmm. probably circa like 2012. Uh, but being younger at the time and not really financially literate, uh, a lot yeah. of it kind of went over my head. So like at that point in time, I think all of the headlines or like the mainstream coverage of Bitcoin was that it was primarily for like the dark web or like illicit purchases. And I was like 17 and didn't even have a credit card. So uh, <laughs> Bitcoin was like slightly on my radar, but nothing I ever like mm-hmm. dug into or I think fully like wrapped my head around. Um Flash forward a few years, uh, some of that like really interesting sort of like weirdness that I always loved about tech felt like it was starting to go away with like things really consolidating around Fang companies like Facebook and Google, um, where all of a sudden instead of this like vibrant ecosystem uh, online where like, you know, when I was younger, I loved browsing forums and like talking to strangers, playing video games online, stuff that my parents would probably be freaked out to hear about right now. But uh, a lot of that felt like it was kind of going away and that the internet was becoming like five websites and everything was happening on those five websites. So uh, I was starting to feel like a little jaded, I think, at that point. Uh, Mm -hmm. But after learning about Ethereum, uh, right before the ICO boom in like 2017, uh, that really sparked my interest in something like truly novel and new, like the idea that crypto is not just digital gold, but that apps could actually run on the blockchain in this decentralized manner. Um, that really piqued my interest. And I, I would say that was when I really started going deeper down the rabbit hole. Um, and I think that the two things that really like resonated with me about Web3 uh, as I started learning more was 
the ethos of true digital ownership and that kind of like spirit of weirdness and rebellion that I mentioned a, a minute ago, mm -hmm. um, which I missed from the early days of the internet, that kind of like rebellious streak. Um, and going against this idea of like walled gardens with Facebook and other big tech in favor of like true digital ownership was super interesting to me. Yeah, I definitely remember the ASL <laughs> era and like the individuality of like MySpace and how slowly but surely moving into like the early 2000s, we went away from individualism and more into like standardization. And with that standardization, we, like, lost that weirdness and that, like, spontaneity that the internet was. And I think that's probably why, for better or for worse, I like Twitter, because it kind of taps into that because of its chaotic nature mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. of, like, engagement. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we we lost it, essentially. And I think with, with Gen Z... They're kind of like claiming it back in a way, and we're we're starting to see, and like skeuomorphism is becoming more popular now. So we're kind of in our Renaissance era, era, so to speak. And Web three is there at the center of it. I feel like, or definitely a part of it. Yeah, um, yeah, I hope so. And I, I think that's like another sort of element that's really interesting to me is that mm -hmm. uh, it feels like we are in this era of like lots of greenfield design opportunities. Uh, mm -hmm. Where things were were a little boring and a little like standardized to your points, I think over the last maybe like five to ten years, uh, but it feels mm -hmm. like something new might be possible. And so we, we've we've gone over how you how you got here, like, and I'm almost curious why why stay here because it's it's kind of um it's a little rough for some of us designers <laughs> as Web three specialists. What keeps you in this space uh, when the going gets tough? That's a great question. Um, let's see. I mean, the space evolves and changes so fast that I feel like there's never a dull day. Um, so I, I do really enjoy, I think, working within complex problem areas and, and blockchain and Web3 is absolutely one of those. Uh, so the fact that it's always changing and always evolving at such a kind of fast pace uh, really keeps you on my toes. So I, I like that a lot. And it's part of the reason why throughout my career, I've always been drawn to startups more generally. I feel like uh, designing in Web3 is like a startup on steroids or like yeah. at like 2x speed. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, honestly, I go back and forth to be frank. Like there's some times where I'm like, should I just go get a Web2 job and like get out of here? And then there's other times where I'm really excited and really like about it, you know? Um, and I think the reason, I and honestly, the reason why I stay here is because this, this podcast, like I, people are so open to talking about web three and everybody's nerdy now. And I, I think the, the community is kind of, is kind of what keeps me here even more so than even the, the interesting design problems that I get to solve. Because totally, um, totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, like at conferences, you know, the people that I've met, the people that I've run into, I feel like in Web two work or in traditional work, everybody's kind of silo with their companies. Like Salesforce, for example, it's like a whole like mini <laughs> mini cult around Salesforce, and it's like 
at the center of it is the app, right? Versus in Web3, at the center of Web3 is the technology and the people. You know, it's not um, like an exclusive club that no one can get into. Like the whole ethos of our of Web3 is about like openness and transparency and, and ownership and things like that. Um, yeah, yeah. I do feel like there's a little bit of irony there where uh, the yeah. community is very accessible. Like to your point, via like Twitter, it, it feels like a small world sometimes, especially in the design corner of Web3. Um, but the actual end user experience and the products that are being created, at least today within Web3, I would argue are, are quite inaccessible. <laughs> So yeah, there's true. a little bit of, uh, of irony there. Yeah, I think we have, and I've noticed that when I first got into Web3, the dichotomy is like the ethos and the product are not lining up in the products. Um, like there's something that gets lost in translation a lot of times. Yeah, um, I think, I mean, my, my like personal two cents is that I think a lot of the, the builders in the space are passionate and excited about the technology to a fault. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, the technology is great, but my my point of view is that what really matters is what it enables and not so much the fundamental technology itself, at least when designing products. Yeah, don't get me started. I have a whole rant in, in my back pocket about about how like we don't think about the experience at the end of the day. I think I tweeted something recently. It's like, uh, whenever you're working at development led organizations, like they view tend to view product as like a hammer to nail thing versus I view product as like, is this even a great house to live in? You know, at the end of the day, <laughs> um, like, is this like, like, you know, thinking about the experience of like using the app is something that us designers have to carry because it's our, our role, but it's definitely hard when you're outnumbered or when development um, like kind of leads product strategy um, because they're not thinking about it from that lens. Um, so moving on, like I do want to talk about magic. So I guess for everybody who doesn't know by now, what is magic? Um, like, what is it? Why is it important to, to the ethos? Sure. Um, so there are definitely layers to it, but I think the, the simplest kind of like elevator pitch to explain magic is that we offer a development SDK uh, that allows any end user to just sign in with an email address in like your typical expected Web2 style flow uh, and create a wallet in the process. Um, so that's the super high level TLDR. Uh, under the hood, what Magic really is, is like a decentralized key management solution. Uh, so we help other brands or businesses or DAP developers uh, create very user-friendly experiences so that if you are, let's say, launching an NFT project, uh, you are not limited to a subset of users who have a MetaMask wallet or understand what a wallet is. You can really kind of reach the other 99% of the world uh, who definitely have an email address and honestly should not need to know all that much about crypto or Web3 uh, to dip their toes in the water and get that first experience. So that's really what we're optimizing for is helping people who have no crypto knowledge or previous experience uh, mm -hmm. get that first sort of on-chain interaction. And in many cases, they may not even know they're doing it. Uh, and I think that's perfectly okay. 
Yeah, I think um, with the wave of uh, the idea of account abstraction and the idea of like more ways to onboard the masses, especially as we go through this bear market, tools like Magic are, are definitely critical and and like tapping into to you know the normies, so to speak. <laughs> um, I think for so long because we didn't have that much incentive to. Uh, Web3 didn't have to cater to to folks that weren't, like, a part of the ethos. It was definitely very much giving you can't sit with us. And when the bear market hit, people were like, oh, JK, we need more users. We're going to need to, like, onboard people and meet people where they're at more and more. And I'm starting to see that on Twitter and different Web3, like, figures talk about that. Um, so magic. <laughs> uh, and speaking of that, like, how, as a designer for magic – it's a very um, interesting position to be in because you're building a tool that is for developers and for end users at the same time. Um, How has that experience been? Um, Like, like how do you balance those two? It's a really interesting uh, problem area. I'll say that. So before joining Magic, uh, I had previously only worked on direct consumer products. So I was very used to simplifying everything as much as possible when writing copy, making sure that it's at like an elementary grade reading level, really trying to make things as simplistic and accessible as possible. Uh, And so it took a little bit of adjusting to join Magic and and start working on dev tools and and designing for a completely different audience, more technical uh, sort of audience. But it's been fun. Um, I mean, it took some learning, but there's, you know, the camp of our direct customers who in many cases are developers and and want very nitty gritty technical, logical details. Um, But there are also other stakeholders uh, within those businesses that we try to design for. So depending on the touch point, you know, if we're on the marketing website, we might be designing not for a developer, but actually like a chief product officer. Um, or even a designer. Um, So there are different, I would say, personas within that sort of like larger business umbrella. It's not only developers, even though developers are the ones ultimately implementing our SDK. Um, So even within that sort of like business umbrella, there are definitely different personas and different considerations uh, we take into account when designing. Uh, And then on the end user side, you know, it's, it's much more nebulous. We, we are, in that case, trying to put forward more of a, like, direct consumer uh, sort of experience that is very mm-hmm. simple, um, opinionated in UX, but maybe not quite as opinionated in UI, if that makes sense, because we want to be delivering mm-hmm. uh, basically like Lego bricks that our customers can build with uh, to ideally create whatever kind of experience they want. So like modularity and flexibility is really important in terms of the components we're creating and the SDK design. Uh, but the end user experience should always be as, as kind of simple and straightforward as possible. Yeah. And I definitely, I think in, that's another, I guess, one of the many challenges of being a designer in Web3 is that in, in a traditional sense, usually you're, you're B2C or B2B. And in Web3, often a lot of applications are B2B and B2B-C at the same time and catering to both of those different audiences, um, especially when nine times out of 10, you're probably the only designer or like very low staffed in Web3 and holding both of those personas in mind at each touch point. Um, 
I, I one one question I want to ask was like, how do you feel that like magic is adding to the to the goal of like mass adoption? Like, how have you observed people using the product, and does it like basically do what it what it says it does, which is like make it easier for people to to gain or onboard to Web three? Yeah. Um... Let's see. I've got I've got a lot of thoughts on this, mm-hmm. but I, I think what it kind of boils down to for me is that if we want to onboard the next billion people to, to Web3, um, we can't expect every single one of those people to set up a hardware wallet uh, mm-hmm. or even, you know, download a MetaMask extension and go through that onboarding process. Because as an end user, I, I might be somewhat interested in, in getting an NFT. I probably am not interested enough to spend multiple hours educating myself, <laughs> doing homework and, and jumping through the hoops uh, to get this sort of like sidecar product set up before I can even, you know, address my, my initial like job to be done. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I think where magic comes in is trying to decrease the barrier to entry as much as possible for that first time user experience when it comes to web three. Um, I think right now I'm pulling these numbers out of thin air, but what it feels like to me is that there's 1% of crypto power users out there who are responsible for 99% of on-chain activity. Um, And so magic's point of view is that the most pragmatic path to onboarding the other 99% of uh, internet citizens, so to speak, is uh, by by tapping into these like very large pre-existing audiences, uh, which is why we've been working really closely and seeing a lot of success with big incumbent brands and enterprises uh, like Mattel, for example, Mm -hmm. and helping them implement Web3 into their existing products and their existing IP. And that kind of allows for more of a progressive onboarding experience, right? You don't need to ramp up and know everything about Web3 uh, or, you know, be that kind of super expert power user. Um, We want to make it as easy as possible to get that first, again, like toe in the water uh, and then start to consider a much longer term kind of like choose your own adventure, progressive onboarding. Uh, get your foot in the door as easily as possible. And then, you know, if you start collecting a lot of NFTs or or have a lot of value stored in your wallet and you need additional kind of like power features, um, ultimately Magic wants to be there for you. But at least as of today, you're free to kind Mm -hmm. of take your private keys and and graduate to a different wallet or, or tap in deeper into more like power user use cases throughout the ecosystem. But we want to make it really easy to get that kind of first time experience um, for, for everyone. Yeah. And I think um, building on that, like onboarding in general, right. Let's say you one. what are some of the things that you've seen in the web three space that has made onboarding difficult, like getting that next million users difficult and how should we approach like speaking to the masses and, and like various contexts um, in web three? For me, it, it always goes back to actual use cases and, and user mm-hmm. intent. Um, 
So like one kind of like pitfall that I see a lot of dApps making or just Web3 brands in general is you have that sort of like prerequisite of creating a wallet or connecting a wallet before you can even start to, to follow through on mm-hmm. the, the reason you came to a, to a platform or a website. Um, to, to use like Web2 sort of e-commerce as an example, uh, when you go to checkout, you don't necessarily need to create an account uh, for H&M or whatever before you can enter your credit card info and actually purchase an item, right? Uh, that kind of checkout experience is built around your intent to, to buy a T-shirt. Um, and creating an account is kind of like a nice-to-have that is baked into it. Uh, so something that we've seen success with at Magic is thinking through, like, what are the actual use cases that we're seeing come up throughout the ecosystem and how can we optimize the, the wallet creation process around that to make it as frictionless as possible? Uh, one example is like NFT checkout. So we've been investing lately in NFT minting and NFT delivery APIs along with like an NFT checkout product. And what that actually looks like is instead of this kind of convoluted multi-step process of creating a wallet, topping up that wallet with crypto for the first time, which is a super painful and long experience, and then spending that crypto trying to purchase an NFT, collapsing those steps together as much as possible around the intent of buying an NFT. So with Magic, you can actually add an NFT to your shopping cart, click checkout, put in some credit card info, purchase the NFT with fiat, and at the end of that checkout experience, you've created a magic wallet in the process. It's very seamless. It's, it's very kind of when to style, um, but it does still have the same base components. It's just about how it's framed. And I think the user experience being built around that initial intent, instead of just putting gates or hurdles in front of users uh, up front, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I think I mean, in the, in the, uh, you know, the, the bull market users were highly motivated, you know, because the market was so high and people were like, I got to get on this crypto thing and, you know, make a quick buck. And so because people were highly motivated, I remember like people were fumbling through terrible user experiences mm-hmm. to and, and onboarding experiences in order to get to the thing. Right. And so there was no incentive at the time to optimize for onboarding. And now that we're, we're, you know, we're down bad and we really are realizing collectively that like, in order for this whole thing to work, we're going to have to onboard the masses. Now I'm seeing that pivot. But I think the one thing that I feel like Web3 suffers from is is like a a language barrier. Um, And Mm -hmm. I harp on it a lot. So like when I first started in Web3, I want to say in 20, I'm late to the party compared to most, 2020, like during pandemic era. Mm -hmm. um, I saw all these people on Twitter talking and y'all could have been speaking Klingon. I, I didn't know what the hell people were talking about like i to the point where i was like googling on twitter like what like what are these words like i was like what is a dow what is um you know larping in this context mean what is you know like the language that we use and i think because we live it and breathe it it's very apparent in a lot of our app experiences that that we're assuming a lot of the user and we're assuming we're assuming competencies and in my like 
in my career as a Web3 researcher and designer, the one thing you can't bank on is, is a baseline competency because everybody um, has different levels of um, of intelligence on like a competencies based on their interests. Like me, I'm personally like an NFT girl. Like I love NFTs. I, I know the, the process. I know what all goes into it. Um, I like am a casual trader, but you can't assume that I know what concentrated liquidity means, you know, even though I'm a Web3 power user. Um, yeah, and, there's like a very thin <laughs> line, I think, between that kind of like uh, enjoyable weirdness that I had mentioned earlier and <laughs> being exclusive, uh, yes. like shutting people out who are not part of the uh, the secret club or know the, the lingo. Um, I totally agree. A lot of times I kind of think of myself almost as like a translator. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I see Web3 designers jobs and I guess digital designers in general to uh, to really be becoming a subject matter expert so that you can boil things down to be as accessible and straightforward to a larger audience as possible. Um, a little bit of a tangent, but yeah, it's something I'm very passionate about as well, for sure. And that's why research is important. And I think um, there's a, like a, a couple of factors that like prevent us from making um, better onboarding experiences. I think one, um, we kind of have like a very like YOLO culture in building in Web3. And so we tend to underestimate what all goes into like a, a designed experience and like a thoughtful experience. Uh, I think uh, secondly, um, we're all in startup blood and, and different startups have so so much money. And depending on like the background of your founder, they may not like value like doing a research round to do an onboarded experience. They may not value like information gathering or competitive analysis. And so that kind of prevents the designer from designing from a place of understanding if, the, if that opportunity isn't given to like intimately get to know your users through, through research and traditional means. Um, I guess in your experience, like, what do you think is like, not not the user's problem, but our problem as builders? And why do you think like onboarding still struggles in a lot of applications? Great question. I, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but mm-hmm. I really do think it goes back to use cases. And okay. not just use cases, but real use cases that resonate and deliver value to real people. Um, mm-hmm. So not just speculation, not super technical DeFi platforms, um, not building for the sake of building, but creating products or experiences that are truly novel and truly valuable. I'm still not seeing much of that in the space today. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of novel stuff and a lot of fun stuff. Um, but if I were to try to think of a killer app uh, to recommend to, let's say, my parents or a friend who knows nothing mm-hmm. about Web3, I don't know where I would point them. Like, I, I'm very yeah. excited to see a lot of brands and projects moving towards utility. I think there's a lot of promising use cases for NFTs. Uh, portable identity and decentralized identity is something I'm personally very passionate about. I think mm-hmm. those are a couple of the, like, really exciting potential use cases. But as of today... They are still mostly potential. Um, yeah. And so I think that's one of the biggest barriers to entry is, is people talk a lot about onboarding the next billion to Web3. And you can create like the slickest UI imaginable. 
Um, you can break down the onboarding process to be like very progressive and instead of overloading users with information, break it down into like 20 steps. But I think ultimately it goes back to like, why should people be interested in the first place? Uh, a lot of the mainstream headlines are around like speculative mm -hmm. JPEGs or meme coins, like quadrupling in value overnight. Um, I don't think that is sustainable or ultimately like very interesting to me. So I think onboarding is really about like, how can we utilize this technology to enable something impactful um, that cannot be done with, with Web2? It's the age-old question of why should I care? I think yeah, exactly. I, 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 I challenge, like, in all the, the work that I do, I challenge my team to think about it. Like, why should anyone care about this? Like, what is our angle? Because, like, we're, we can get super excited and super amped for something, but is the end mass is really going to care? Are we really, are we painkillers or are we vitamins, you know? And I think, uh, honestly, I was talking to someone on Twitter again about this, about, like, oh, how, like, a lot of Web3 apps, especially in, in the tooling space, like, they have no revenue. They don't have, um, you know, ways of like monetizing if you are building for four Web3 teams and you can't and like a lot of teams don't have the, the money to like pay for a Web3 tooling app in the way SaaS would. And uh, the person was basically emphasizing, well, like people are already making money via transactions. And I'm just like, if transactions are the only way for us to monetize Web3, then only a handful of apps are ever gonna are gonna be su survive, <laughs> essentially. And so not only do we like suffer from lack of use case, we also suffer from lack of like potential revenue, um, or ways of monetizing that isn't just like transactional based like fees, which is like no user wants to be charged a fee for every single Web three app that they use or interact with. Like that's not sustainable. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, when the average person is living paycheck to paycheck, um, you're just not going to be able to onboard, uh, you know, a billion people to Web3 if the, the primary use case is uh, buying a $5,000 image that you don't even know yeah. what to do with afterwards. Um, exactly. Ultimately, I, my, my not-so-hot take, but maybe a hot take, depending on the audience, is that, like, the technology really doesn't matter. Uh, nobody, yeah. <laughs> no, no, like, normal person outside of tech cares about the, the underlying tech. They care about the value that gets delivered. Uh, my parents scroll through Facebook on a daily basis. They don't mm -hmm. know anything about, uh, you know, HTTP requests and, and IP addresses and stuff like that. And they shouldn't have to, right? It's really just about like what the technology enables. And the sad thing, actually, uh, William, Michael Williams from Serotonin was actually talking about this in a talk earlier where he was saying kind of the same thing you're saying, which is like value, like one like really good use case for decentralization is content creators, right? Because a lot of people mm -hmm. are making their living creating content on, on, on TikTok, on YouTube, on Instagram. And if these big companies, tech companies go under, or like, for instance, recently there were talk, talks of TikTok ban, that's like all your income gone mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. of the platform is gone. And so decentralization to that person is very like appealing because then the, the opportunity to own their own content and take it wherever they want to go is very appealing. It's a, it's a good use case because as a cr creator, it's a pain in the butt to have to upload your content to different platforms 
platforms if one goes down. And, and so that's the case for decentralization to that person. But if you talk about it in like techie terms, like content creators, decentralization, blah, blah, like use those terms. They're going to be like, why? What is this? Like, I don't, I don't care about decentralization. If you're, you're throwing a bunch of words at me, that don't, <laughs> that don't matter. You know, yeah, what you should yeah. talk about is like ownership and the idea of owning data and taking it and taking it around. And that's where you meet people at is like the value, the benefit, like, why should I care? You know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's about building around and on top of kind of some of the, the, the core inherent principles of, of Web3, like ownership, um, interoperability, things like that. Um, as soon as you start getting into the weeds of like exactly how that's possible or the technical constraints or the buzzwords of like incentive alignment and stuff, mm-hmm. um, people are just going to tune out. Like you're not going to reach yeah. the audience that you need to be reaching. Um, that's where I would, I guess, go back to this idea of like becoming an expert so that your users don't have to. Exactly. Um, I will say as a web three designer, what are some of the biggest obstacles you face? Like, like on the day to day doing your job, like what is, what are the hardest parts of being a designer in web three, um, from your perspective? That's a great question. I I do feel really lucky to be working Mm -hmm. at Magic with a team that cares so much about um, products and great user experiences. I I don't feel like I ever need to fight an uphill battle in terms of Mm -hmm. uh, user empathy or doing the right thing or or making smart decisions around um, UX and product. So that's really great. I would say... More broadly, some of the the challenges that I've observed um, kind of really pushing, I think, for the average person. Uh, We've touched on it a few times so far during this conversation, but uh, crypto is is just crypto and Web3 is a bubble within a bubble. So like there is the the sort of like tech bubble um, and then within that this corner of like crypto and web three mm-hmm. um, and I think over time people get very acclimated to some of those uh, more like insider terms and ideas and concepts and forget mm-hmm. that 99% of the world has no idea that half of this exists or how it works uh, so I think pushing for the quote unquote average person or the, the more non-technical stakeholder um, is something that designers are, are uniquely positioned to do. Like not losing sight of the fact that we are operating in a very small uh, kind of microcosm with a lot of potential, uh, but there is still a huge gap between the stuff that we are mm-hmm. um, reading and talking about and designing for on a daily basis and the the lived experience of like the rest of the world outside of that bubble. Um, yeah, so I, I think would, that, honestly, that's a big one. Yeah, I would agree. I was, I guess, I can speak to the obstacles I faced so far because I've yeah, worked at a couple different, a different, a couple different places. I think um, my first thing is, um, and I've talked about this before, but the the hardest part is being under resourced. I think a lot of Web three places only have one designer to like five devs, mm-hmm. and so when you're the only designer. Um, you not, you not only have to like hold the product torch, but you also have to hold the branding torch and the marketing torch, which is yeah. a lot of torches to handle. And I think <laughs> I think um, when a designer is overwhelmed, development 
will lead design because like the the designer's just not going to be able to have the capacity to have their hands on everything. And so what that results in is a lot of like um, disjointed user experiences. Um, I think secondly, the hardest part of building for this space is um, the, the having to hold so many user personas in one app. Um, I think like like we talked about before, you you can't just think you have to think about every touch point and who that touch point is for versus in, in traditional work, typically you're only you're holding a handful of personas and those personas are just kind of variations of the same person. They're not like so radically different. Um, and so because you're constantly having to build for different audiences that adds a level of complexity to design. Uh, and then going to my first point, if you're the only designer, like having to hold all that is a lot. Um, and also I think, I think thirdly, I think it's, um, honestly, it's culture depending on the organization you work with, the UX maturity might be very low. And so Mm -hmm. if the, if the, if like if you have to be the only person in a in a web three organization that is like of high UX maturity and have to carry your team through like just like bad like not I want to not bad but just like I want to say ignorant perspectives on design like this is a hard those are a lot of like thresholds to cross you got to cross the like being understaffed threshold and working at a startup then you got to cross the, the complexity of just designing in web3 and how hard and different that is and then the third hump you have to cross is like getting your team to like understand ux and the importance of it and like why and why you should approach things in a certain way and so we're we're hopping hopping over those hurdles and like a lot of times we're falling and we're tripping and we we can't like cross all those thresholds especially by ourselves a lot of times um and that's kind of like the obstacles i've, I've experienced so far yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense and i mean on top of that the space changes and evolves so quickly that mm-hmm. there's this kind of like treadmill that you need to always be on in terms of uh <laughs> following the news and, and understanding where where the space is headed and what sort of narratives are are kind of emerging mm-hmm. Um, which is like a whole kind of like meta layer, I guess, on top of the day-to-day and the IC work and all that stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, my, my last question before we can like wrap up here is like, as a, uh, you know, I, I noticed that like a lot of Web3 companies are slowly but surely starting to hire more designers. It's, it's slow going, but it, it's happening. Um, what has been your like, hardest part of like hiring in this space uh, or like getting new talent into the space you would say hmm. something that i have observed going through the hiring process um over the last year or so uh is that it's very difficult to find someone who is both an excellent designer and has knowledge or passion for for web3 and i think part of that is because mm-hmm. web3 is is fairly nascent fairly young mm-hmm. um it's pretty exclusive for a lot of the reasons we've already mentioned like during this conversation um and there's this sort of like negative feedback loop where up until recently there hasn't been a whole lot of great design in web3 yeah. So I think mm-hmm. I think that might be a bit off-putting to some designers. I think it's like an interesting challenge for others. Like it's part of the reason mm-hmm. I was drawn to the space is all this greenfield opportunity. Um, 
but a lot of the hiring process, uh, in my experience, has been either folks who are very passionate and knowledgeable about Web3, but are maybe a little too in the weeds and like in yeah. love with the technology more than the solutions or the use cases, mm-hmm. um, or folks who are much more senior in their design experience, but know very little uh, to nothing about Web3, which creates a pretty challenging like ramp-up process. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that said, I, I do like fundamentally believe any great designer is eager to tackle big and complex problems and should be able to approach even the most complex thing like blockchain or Web3 um, with a spirit of kind of like curiosity and, and ramp mm-hmm. up fairly quickly. And so I, I don't think, you know, having years of experience in Web3 or like intimate familiarity with blockchain concepts is a, a non-starter or even that much of a negative. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's about finding designers who have an open mind, are eager to challenge, um, are eager to tackle big challenges, and can apply design thinking uh, broadly to to whatever it is they're facing. And, and Web3 is just one sort of, uh, I guess, like area where that can be applied. Yeah, honestly, I agree. I mean, I, I came into the space knowing nothing about Web3 and I, like contracting for Sushi. And um, it took me about a month or two to to skill up. And then after that, it was more like, I think the hardest part of onboarding Web3 is like, um, I had to evolve my, my design process to be more modular than linear. Mm-hmm. Um, so meaning that like, I was so used to like doing design in a very like, okay, we do this and then we do that. And then we do like, you know, just kind of like a cadence. And working in Web3 and startups realizing that, oh, I have to, like, be very flexible and, like, modify my processes. And granted, I came into the space like a mid-level designer and now I'm, like, reaching senior. But I would say, like, learning how to, when to apply the, the design principles and the context was, like, the hardest part of learning Web3. And also, like, the challenges of just not having a lot of resources and having to be nimble and, um modify your process you know according to the organization and according to like the resources that you have um yeah yeah, yeah. it can feel like the wild wild west at, at points but uh, at least personally that's that's part of the excitement for me um yeah, <laughs> yeah. you definitely skill up a lot faster yeah, in this space than yeah, you would anywhere else um all right. Well, this has been a great talk about design and web three use cases, use cases, use cases. Is basically what we landed on. I'm active enough. I'm, I'm doing a lot more working than I am tweeting, but yeah, I'm on Twitter. Uh, you can learn more about magic at magic.link. Uh, and it's been awesome chatting. I really appreciate you reaching out and, and talking today, Dee. It was great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for finishing this episode of Design It Out. To learn more about us, follow us on Twitter and our website, designer-dow.xyz. Till next time.